back uh, to Swing Thoughts. It's always a pleasure to have like-minded people gather around the uh, microphones, along with Coach Tim O'Connor. I am golf spiritual leader. <laughs> are you saying I think like you? <laughs> I do, do believe. Well, we are like-minded for sure. And every time I say I'm golf spiritual leader, it, it makes me laugh. And uh, today on the show, I will have a, I will tell you how Tim O'Connor inspired the great GSL to do something um, that I had not done in years. And uh, there is a GSL tie-in. There's also a tie-in to our guest because the inspiration came at an event that you and I played with our guest today. It's all going to make sense when this episode of Swing Thoughts uh, gets started. I like that for a whole bunch of stuff there. I think we referred to that last week as foreshadowing. That's the stuff that makes people go, ooh, I better stay uh, tuned. Exactly. No, just want to stay tuned to a podcast. When, um, Well, you, you, hopefully they stay tuned. When I was doing radio, we used to say things like, okay, when we come back from this break, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to reveal the, uh, the winning number for $100,000. And they called that sucking the audience through the stop set. So... That's kind of what we're doing. But actually, what I just said, if you go back and listen to the podcast, at the end you'll go, oh, all of it made sense. Um, As always, we are uh, Baked Fresh and uh, brought to you by our very, very, very good friends at TaylorMade Golf. If there's one thing we know golfers want from a driver, it's distance. But there's actually two things, distance and forgiveness. That's why TaylorMade designed the all-new Stealth 2 with even more carbon for even more forgiveness. Wait, did you say forgiveness like far or forgiveness like forgiveness? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. I'm hearing far. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Exactly. Rory gets it. The all-new TaylorMade Stealth 2. Learn more at tailormadegolf.ca. And of course, not only the Stealth 2 uh, driver, but Fairway Woods. Uh, we haven't really talked about that much, but the the three-wood and my hybrid... Hybrid? Remember, was it, was it last week we were talking about how people, some people call it hybrid? No, we weren't talking about that. No. I've noticed yes, that. yes, uh, we have talked about it. But yes. I, I find that irksome when people call them hybrids. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's true. I'm like, dude. Well, you're no, such a word guy. There's you're no bread. Snob. I know, but if you say, when it's not a snob. If somebody, okay. If somebody calls it a hybrid and you don't, you don't, your eyebrow doesn't go up. Uh, TaylorMadeGolf.ca is where you find out more about the stealth hybrids and uh, all the carbon wood. And it really is uh, very forgiving. As well, Tim, we're also uh, pleased to have along. Yes, uh, Oscar Bravo. I am wearing, I am festooned, as GSL said before, in an Oscar Bravo polo that has unbelievable accents. This particular model I'm wearing has a houndstooth uh, collar that goes through the placket. Isn't that impressive? I'm sorry, what? Like, the placket? I know words like placket. Yes, I do. I love and that. And little accents on the on the on the side and all over the place. It's the most amazing polo you would ever wear to play golf in or wear on a casual Friday or whatever made by made of fine Italian fabric. And I guarantee you, if you uh, manage to 
order one of these. It would surprise you in the way it shows up at your house, and you'll never see anyone at your club wearing it. I almost guarantee it. Make sure you check out whoisoscarbravo.com. I was going to tell you very, very briefly because there's a, you know, there's a way you need to wash them. You have to, you wash them, and then you hang them to dry, and then you have to button up the buttons and then do this thing with the collar or the plaque or whatever. But I screwed up yesterday. I, I put it in the dryer. And this morning I took it out of the dryer. I was thinking, oh, God, I've gone and ruined this shirt. But you know what? It, it, took, it took a beating in the dryer. It was fine. It didn't, go, it didn't go like one of your wife's blouses and suddenly shrink to like super small or something? Your exes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was going to say, are you, is there something with your wife's blouses I should know about? But hey, listen, that's for a different no, that Every guy's done it. You know, yeah. oh, shit. I wasn't supposed to put that in the dryer. It, it, now it resembles something that could, you know, suit a mouse. No, it's funny you say that because when I was married, I didn't do the laundry. And then when I got divorced, I was like, you mean all the clothes don't go in the washing at the same time? And I had... <laughs> My girlfriend say, no, Mr. Boy. Uh, listen, we also want to thank our friends at StretchLab.com. <laughs> if you're looking for the benefits of stretching, you've seen the uh, videos of all these tour pros getting stretched out before a round, improve sports performance, increase range of motion and flexibility, and reduce muscle and joint pain at StretchLab.com. Um, however we met this gentleman, he has been a uh, friend of ours. Um and a friend to many golfers. He is uh, on Twitter. You know him as at Scratch Attitude. That's also the name of his book. For many years, our guest was a performance consultant and a management training specialist, working with uh, high-level executives and uh, hockey teams as well. He spent a year with the Detroit Red Wings, uh, helping them uh, through their psychological issues as all sports teams now have someone like him and we're happy to have him please say hi live from the visualization chamber in barry it's ken osborne hey ken what's going on morning guys how you doing we're good i just wonder what does one do in the chamber visualize i guess what does one visualize many things i mean uh, you visualize you uh, you feed the cat you uh, you know all, all kind of things. It's all good. I got invited up there a couple months ago. I spent the Sunday morning with Kent. And I wasn't sure what was going to go on, but it was quite educational. It's where, um, you know, we had a we had a kind of a guru-to-guru guru chat, and uh, Kent took me through his, not just visualizations for, uh, you know, improvement, but also some of your philosophies. And maybe we can start there for people that haven't heard you on this podcast or the many other podcasts that you do now. You know, at first when you came on here, I think I was your, we were your first, but now you're yep. just like podcast yep. guest for hire. Uh, I was a virgin before I met you guys. But That's now, right. Now I'm, uh, <clears throat> yeah. So yeah, when you like go it. on, I've heard you on a couple other shows. <laughs> What what's one of the I would say for you know for people that haven't heard you what would be one of your main themes things that you discuss with your players and some sort of the tenets of a scratch attitude hmm. Well I think that uh probably the number one fundamental is that uh, I and and 95% of the people that I would coach are pay to play golfers so we pay to play, which means we're paying for recreation, which means we're playing, we're paying for an enjoyable experience. And, uh, you know, we talk a lot about, uh, what it takes to 
simply enjoy your best shots and accept your worst. Now, it sounds really simple, but everybody's got their own unique challenges to uh, to make that happen. But that that in a nutshell is it. It's about uh, it's about having fun and playing well as opposed to, you know, I'll have fun if I play well. Well, that's the tough part, obviously, of the game. And I was actually working with um, a client last night and she went off to Italy with her husband and it was the first time they're going to play golf together. So you have that little couple component thing and they're playing this amazing course, but because it's so hilly, he can't adjust and he's going, he's going nuts. Like he's just driving himself mad. And I went, that is just so weird. You're in Italy playing this amazing golf course. And yet you're so sidetracked by your own game. You completely lose perspective to have fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's a, from my point of view, it's, it's a difficult game to have fun at because of the culture of golf. I mean, the culture of golf is all about, you know, it's, it's your handicap and you're constantly comparing yourself to your, to other players and where you were last week and last year. And so it's not, it's not necessarily an easy thing to do, but I think when, when you step back and, and uh, take an objective look at it, it's, uh, it's the only thing that makes sense. Well, one of the things that I've heard you talk about and and uh, send tweets around, and I think this is one of you that to use the word that uh, Howard just used, key tenets is gratitude. And mm. I think that gratitude. What I like about gratitude is it doesn't say this should be different, or mm. shoulda, woulda, coulda. It's it is what it is, and we're good with that. So speak speak to us about how gratitude can help with that, whether you want to call it acceptance or finding that balance between, say, fun and you know trying to score well. Well, uh, well said, and I, I like to think that that the game is not physical and mental; it's physical, mental, and emotional. I, I think we make a mistake when we th- when we characterize emotions as a subset of the mental game. I think emotions are there are an equal dimension, and 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 from my point of view, I would put them as foundational because from my perspective, your emotional state dictates how you think and how you focus. So if I'm in a, if if I'm in fear or frustration, I, I'm not going to make the kind of decisions I need to make. I'm not going to be able to focus the way I need to make to 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 make a good golf shot. So for me, em, emotions are are foundational. And uh, yeah, I forget the rest of your question. You sort of answered it. Gratitude. Yeah. Yeah. So, so from my point of view, if I, I would, I would prefer gratitude to confidence because I can be confident as anything and, and, and I can make a shot that's, that's, you know, goes to two feet for a tap in birdie or, or uh, I can be confident and hook it into the woods. But if I'm grateful, if I really show up to the golf course, grateful to be there, then you know what? I- I'm going to have a good day no matter what goes down. Yeah. To me, that sounds like such a, a good thing to think about. I've actually done that on the way to the golf course a few times. Just think I'm driving along. It's a beautiful day. Maybe I got a match coming up or a club event and maybe I'm feeling a bit nervous. But I just find that if, if I'm driving along, go, man, it's a beautiful day. Today's going to be great. Yeah. I feel so yeah. fortunate to, to have the means to have to be healthy enough to play this game. And it just seems to settle things down. Yeah. 
I will ask myself two things before I play. I, I like to do it in my in my journal. Sometimes I don't get to it and I'll be doing it in the car. But I'll ask myself, what am I grateful for today? And I'll try to connect with that. And it could be, I'm just grateful for being alive. I'm grateful for my wife. I'm grateful for my kids. I'm grateful that my golf course is 10 minutes away, blah, blah, blah. But I connect, try to connect with that feeling. And then I'll ask myself, what do I love about golf? And what I love about golf for me is I love it when I hit it pure or hit it great. Now, that's great for me. It's not great for Rory. But when I do that, I, I just love that. And, you know, I play enough golf that a few times around I'm going to have that experience. Mm-hmm. So I want to be able to grab onto it when I have it. Um, so, yeah, for me, it's gratitude at, at a recreational level. That that is the emotion that's absolutely key for a lot of players. And you pointed out how golf is difficult because of the nature of the game and the way it's filled with comparison to others, to comparison, the way you played the whole before the day before or whatever. You know, how many times you've all been with people that go, oh, man, I was really driving it great yesterday. And I'm always like yesterday was a long <laughs> way away, dude. But yeah. and and Ken and I have had these discussions. Tim and I have had them about how do you be, how can you be serious about golf, but not be serious while golfing. Mm. You know what I mean by that is we take the game seriously. We practice it. We want to play in these tournaments, but then there's sort of like it, it's hard because it's it's such a it's such a it sucks us in to be sort of like in golfer guy mode, but in between shots, you know, we still have to be human beings. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, doing the journaling helps, but what came into my mind is that I will often have a look at tour stats and you might say, Oh, you know, that's crazy because why would you compare yourself to a tour player? But I'm not comparing myself to a tour player. I just look at their stats in terms of what they do. And you guys well know that at, at, at eight feet, putting's a 50-50 proposition for the best players on earth. You know, last night I was looking at this, the, the average, average green and regulation on the PGA Tour right now from 100 to 125 yards is – 79%. Yeah. So now and then I'll look at that and I'll just say, okay, KO, you're here for recreation. You're here for some fun and you're playing the world's hardest game. That to me helps me just go out and, you know, if I, if I make a par, I make a par. If I make a bogey, I make a bogey. I mean, we talked a lot about that in the early days of decade. Cause the whole point of decade is expectation management, knowing that, you know, and then one of the things I used to say is if you don't know what a good shot is, how will you know if you've hit one? How will you know to be grateful and, you know, give yourself a, a, a break? If you're 175 yards and you're an amateur golfer and you hit the green, you know, that's a stroke gained. Because from 175 to 200 on the PGA Tour, they're not hitting the green all the time. So why would we expect, you know, that we should as well? But back to the idea of taking the game too seriously. I think that even people that don't play tournament golf, I think there's a culture of golf, and Tim and I have talked about this, that almost encourages you to be in this sort of serious mode when, you know, as you say, we're all just paying to play. We're not getting paid to play. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I always, because I came to the game late, I I always thought it was strange that this whole, you've got to be quiet 
um, you know, I mean, I can, I can hit great golf shots on the range and one guy next to me is whacking yeah. and hacking and the next, the next two guys are talking and it doesn't affect me. So I, I do think that we, that we pick up this, you know, you, you watch TV and, and these guys, it's, I mean, they're playing for millions of bucks and they're taking it very seriously and they're reading greens and they're standing there aim pointing and they're, I mean, I, I get all that, but for, for me, even from a mental point of view, I was thinking about this be, be, before I came on. I mean, I was in a, a, a two shots come to mind for me that I've hit in the last couple of days. One was at the member guest with my son. What my son? Another was in a match play event. So I'm in a match play. We're playing in the playoff hole. I'm the last guy up. I'm in a good, you know, I'm in an okay frame of mind. No fear, no whatever. And I hit it to to tap in three, four inches. Great shot. I'm with my son. We're, 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 I'm having a great time. We're at a member guest. You know, he hits a good drive. And I think to myself, you know, man, I can't let him hit it past me like that. So I get up. I take a <laughs> swing. I'm in a good mood. I'm focused. No fear. No nothing. And I duck hook it into the woods. <laughs> so same guy, same state, same level of ability. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the kind of fluctuation that's possible in this game for someone like me. And that's why for me... I don't think of myself as an amateur golfer. I think of myself as a recreational golfer. I mean, to me, there are pros. An amateur golfer is, you know, you're playing college, you're playing Walker Cup, you're playing, you know, you're playing an elite level national and international competitions. For me, I think of myself as a recreational player. I'm paying for fun, period. Mm-hmm. So that helps me. That helps me take the game less seriously. And, and you know, I mean, I, I'm out there playing and practicing. You know, I sign up for some tournaments. I, I want to play well. It's not, it's not that if I want to go out there and hack it around, but I find that real, you know, understanding how good I am and how good I'm not is, is, is helpful. Well, one of the things that I notice is that, yes, most of the people that I play with – and most of the people I coach are, as you say, recreational golfers. But so many golfers, they they really want to be. They want to look like a pro. They want to mm-hmm. play like a pro. And so they do all these things that they think that pros or elite players will do. And to me, I and I want to balance this off you, is this because they get serious, to use the word that, that um, Howard was using, they, they're trying to do all this stuff. You know, they come to the golf course and they've got a got a got a plan that they're going to do this or that, and they're they're trying to apply all these almost like principles and strategies as opposed to go to the golf course and just do your best with every whatever you brought that day. So I just see a lot of trying, yeah. mm-hmm. and they're getting sucked in by this golf culture. What's your observation of that? Well, here's something for you. I mean. <laughs> I can go out and attend, I, I can go through a routine and and make a putt. I can go I can go through a routine and miss a putt. I can go through no routine whatsoever and make a putt. I can go through no routine whatsoever and miss a putt. And you know you you watch the you watch TV and it's like this it's like this sacred thing almost. You know he's he's a ritual. He's playing well because he's had, adhering to his routine mm-hmm. perfectly. But you know what? From my point of view, 
you know, when I'm on the first tee, I don't have to go through a routine to know that, well, my objective is to hit it in the fairway. <laughs> like, I mean, and now, first of all, I don't I don't totally disagree with you, but I don't totally agree with you either, because, you know, let's not kid ourselves. Anyone listening to this show is listening because they have a more than passing interest in the game. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying that. And, and I know you you're not saying you don't have uh, a more than passing interest in the game. You're saying that the way you frame it is that it's recreation. And so the connotation is recreation equals recreation it's you know like it's something you do for enjoyment as opposed to you know you know as as we've all been in these dark spots uh me most recently where where the thing you love becomes a point of misery that's not recreation you know i'm as i sort of said in on twitter a couple weeks ago i sort of joked that you know, I, I do yoga for recreation, but I never want I never leave yoga wanting to punch myself in the face. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I'm, I I don't have a yoga routine. You know, if I get yeah. there 15 minutes before class, I'm like, oh, no, I've screwed up my whole yoga vibe. Yeah. You know, I'm doing that. Those are the things I do for recreation. I never leave a movie going, well, you know, yeah. I have to, I, I need to go and uh, self-flagellate for a while. I mean, it depends on the movie. I think you know what I'm talking about. Well, if you and I were, if, if if the three of us were in some situation where we were playing uh, horseshoes at a at a at a cottage or at a resort, right? I mean, I'd be I'd be wanting to beat you guys, and you guys be wanting to beat me, right? I'd be looking at my target. I'd be attempting to make good shots. <laughs> That's right. And and I would play probably you know w- within the realm of my athletic ability. Right. What's the, tell me the difference between that and golf? Why? Well, why I'll tell you the, I- the the first difference is none of us are spending the weekend watching the Horseshoes Open Champion <laughs> Championship <laughs> at five in the morning. That's the difference. Yeah. We're not waking and up at five thirty. Going, wait a second, I can go. Brian <laughs> goes, yeah, you know, like I was really present in the moment. We go, oh shit, president in the moment. Exactly. <laughs> you know, Who's your favorite horseshoe? Horseshoe this is player. a major championship of horseshoes coming up this week. That's right. <laughs> no, I mean, you make a great point. And, and really, I mean, we, we've been doing this show for eight years, 200 plus episodes. And, you know, it turns out in the end, all the different psychological and mental things that we've talked about. It turns out that in the, in the I guess, the ultimate and, you know, and Tim said this, I said this about the more it seems we can enjoy the experience, the more the experience is enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. Now I do think that, that spending a few minutes and I, and I do this religiously spending a few minutes with my journal to before around to think about what I'm grateful for and what I love about golf and after around to just to make note of my best shots and relive them. And get into that gratitude. I, I think you can condition emotional states, mm-hmm. and and I I do that, and I think it's helped me significantly be a more. Um, it's helped me be more accepting, and it's helped me be more to to enjoy my best shots more. I I can't honestly say it's helped me be a better player. I mean, 
you know, maybe it has, maybe it hasn't. But what I have been able to get my handicap down with the amount of time and effort I put into, you know, playing golf and practicing golf. I love to practice golf and I'm, I'm out there a lot. Chances are I have some athletic ability when I was a kid. Chances are I would have gotten down to where I'm at anyway. But I could have been there and be miserable. Be, well, like a lot of guys that, that I see, I mean, mm-hmm. they're... They're, they're a four handicap and they want to be a two. They're a two handicap and they want to be zero. They're a zero and they want to be a plus two. It's never, ever enough. Arrival fallacy. Yeah, I was even thinking about this the other day. I mean, here's here's something to chew on. What What if golf psychology doesn't work at all? Mainstream golf psychology doesn't work at all. Because you could make the argument that the pattern of success is the same now as it was in Jack's era, in Hogan's era, and in Bobby Jones' era. You've got, you've got a guy that's, that's you know, clearly at the top. You've got a few guys underneath that that are, that are great. You've got a bunch of guys underneath that that catch a lightning in a bottle maybe once or twice a career. And you've got a whole bunch of guys underneath that. I mean, it's, it, tell, me how that's, tell me how it's different now than it was in Jack's era or Hogan's era. And all of these guys have shrinks. I would say when I say all of them, I don't, I, I don't no, know. I sure, but I'm surprised if 90% of them didn't. And they're all doing the visualization, mindfulness routine. You know, they're, they're all into it. And yet, you know, I mean, Rory's working with Rotella for the last two years, apparently. Mm-hmm. How's that helped? Well, I mean, you're, you're, you're making a, a, again, I don't totally disagree, but I don't totally agree, which is there's, it's not like those eras. There's way more high-level players than there's ever been in the game. And whether that's due to psychologies or not, I think awareness is – there's a higher awareness in sports psychology in general. You know, I just watched this um, – there's a great show. There's a great series on Netflix, and I talked about it on the Humble and Fred show quite a bit. But I would recommend it to anybody that's interested. It's called Quarterbacks. And it's, they basically follow Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins yeah. – and Marcus, uh, uh, can't remember his last name, doesn't matter. But one of the things that's at some point, it's fascinating from a lot of different aspects, but there's a, a team psychologist, just like you were with the Red Wings. Mm. So, you know, maybe in the Bart Starr, Johnny Unitas era, you know, they, they had all these people suffering in sports that didn't know how to, didn't have a place or an outlet to, to talk about it. So that's why I disagree. I, I agree. I think that now in sports and golf in particular, these players have somebody to offload all these things they're feeling. Whereas before in those other eras, they might've just, you know, masked them with, you know, depression and, and yeah. drinking. But uh, it's a fascinating thing when they talk to the team psychologist of the, um, I think it's the, uh, the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. But it's an interesting look inside how those players now deal with it. Tim? Well, I think that part of maybe what Kent is getting to is that um, sports psychology, which became a thing, you know, back, um, gosh, I mean, Tim Galway, when he started to do things in coaching, people started to think, oh, maybe it is part of this mental game, as they call it. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. you had all these sports uh, performance coaches come along. And my mm-hmm. sense is that what happened for a lot of people is that instead of thinking about turning the left hip or what they're doing with the right elbow, now they're also thinking about doing the right thing psychologically. Like I have to visualize my shot, uh, all of that. 
Um, and so it became another list of things to do. Mm-hmm. And what I think you're talking about, Howard, is now what these, you would call them a psychologist. They're providing a space for an athlete to be able to give voice to those things that are going on in his or her life right. that, that are causing them angst or keeping them distracted or keeping them stuck. That don't necessarily have to do with the playing of the game is what I'm right. saying. But that's very different. But that's very different than, than going to the golf course thinking of this, this, and this yeah. thing to do. Kent, what's your thought on that? Well, I, I would agree. I mean, I, I think there's a place for a, for a sports psychotherapist or a golf psychotherapist. But if you're if you're if you're a pro golfer and you're hiring a, a shrink, the purpose of that is to help you win more. Period. End of story. And I don't see any evidence that that's true. I you mean, that it, that it actually results in people winning more. Yeah, like if you were. If, if, like Padraig Harrington, for example, worked with Bob Rotella. Rotella talks about him in, in, in his books. He's won. He won what? Three, three majors. Three majors. Yeah. Yeah. You, you could make the case. You could look at Harrington, and you could look and say, well, you know, given this guy's ability and his work ethic, and and et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. you know, he could. He could probably knock off two or three in, over the course of a career. Yeah, but you could also make the case that. You know, if you ask Padraig Harrington, did Bob Rotella or any of these guys, Chuck Cook or whoever you could name, Paul Doolin, yeah. uh, Carl Morris, if you ask those players, did did that intervention of ha- having a voice or giving you uh, something else, did that help? I bet you Padraig Harrington would be would disagree with you that that, that he would say Bob well, Rotella helped yes. him. He, he he wrote an introduction into, into right. one of Rotella's uh, recent books. Sing and Rotella's praises. And I kind of get what you're saying. You're saying like, you know, is it, and, and Tim's point is well taken too, that is it just another uh, couple of things on your mental checklist? Yeah. So for me, for me as a recreational player, and again, any anything I say about the pros is just conjectured because I really don't have any idea what they do right. or, how, or how they do it. But for me as a recreational player, yeah, I'm just not, I'm asking myself the the question: Does all the sports psychology stuff and all of this swing stuff help? And I'm not convinced that it does. I'm and I'm with you, Kent. I'm 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 with you on that. Most of it is just more stuff to think about to try to do, and when you don't do it quote correctly, at least to more yeah. judgment and to more frustration mm-hmm. that we're not living up to this ideal. I mean, also like personally, like for years and years. I was always trying to do the right thing. I had the ideal setup, everything right, and, and even psychologically. And I'd go out and I'd play with guys at Blue Springs who just go out there and they might have a few pops while they're playing, and they're hitting it past me. They're sinking <laughs> more putts. And I'm going like, come on, I'm doing all the right things. Yeah. How come these effers are beating me? And I yeah. I came to just understand that I was a, in many ways – whether it be mentally about trying to do the right thing or physically, I was a paralysis by analysis basket case. Well, if you're if you're down the rabbit hole like, like I am, and I know you guys are, it's it's easy to get into into this. You know, you're, you're trying to create the perfect swing and you're trying to create the perfect mental state. And I, I'm for me, I'm better off when I just go out and play. Now, saying that. I do find that that connecting with gratitude and connecting with what I love about the game 
helps me go out and have a more enjoyable experience. Which is great, but I could also argue that that's just another psychological trick. I'm, I, I'm, I'm with you on it, but, but that's, that's just a, what's, what's different than, you know, uh, Bob Rotella talking about visualization of the target. It's just another, you know, construct of, uh, what I'm going to do before I go to golf. Like I, I could argue that don't do that. Then if right. you, if, yeah. if, if, if golf psychology is all uh, nonsense, then don't do that because I could argue that sitting in your car, visualizing what you will love about golf is just another psychological trick. You know what? I think you got a good point, Howard. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I'm going to, and you know what? I'm going to give that a shot for a week or two. Well, no, I, I don't want to talk you out of your thing, but no, uh, no. but every, no, I, but 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 everything is a thing, you know. It's like I will tell you that the last month and a week, you know, five weeks ago when we played together, the three of us at Saugeen after not qualifying for the Senior Am, um, I was bummed. And you can call me a recreational golfer. I feel like. You know, I and and I would argue again that you're you're a little more than a recreational golfer, considering the number of tournaments that we've played together and the tournaments we want to play in. You know, like I know that uh, I'm a little bit, I wouldn't say bummed, but I'm certainly aware that the senior am is going on right now, and I'm not playing in it. Mm-hmm. And so, is that uh, make me more than a recreational happy go lucky go out there and have funsy onesies with the golf? Maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I know five weeks ago when we were all in Saugeen, I was definitely not in a, a great place golf-wise, and I feel I'm in a better place golf-wise now. And part of that is having addressed some of the psychology, including, by the way, of being more grateful and having a, a better time enjoying the recreation of the game. So, I'll, you know, I'll give you both kudos for that. But, yeah, I mean, everything is a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. And and I called you up or I sent you a note about a month ago and I said, just give me an idea because we've talked a lot about journaling, you and I. I said, just give me an idea of what you do. And we sort of talked about it and I started doing it. And I'll tell you what, it made a difference. It's yeah. made a difference in the the doing it every single day, putting some pen on a page definitely has done something. But back to your point that what would golf be like if there were no golf psychologists? Well, you know, what if I hadn't been doing that? What if you didn't do that? What if Tim didn't coach people like you? You know what? If, if there was no golf psychology, let's just do this show like the Humble and Fred show and talk about farts and thought. <laughs> let's, just, let's just talk about I'm, I'm going to jump in. Let's on just this talk one. about farts and tits. You know what? Uh, well, yeah, more tits than farts, but that's OK. And farts are funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I like to. I mean, I'm maybe I'm out in the visualization chamber too much because I like to ruminate on all this stuff. I know. And I sometimes I think to myself, well, you know, like what is the actual benefit of all this stuff? Sure. And I think for me, there's a there's a huge benefit in in trying to put myself in the right emotional vibe or in a positive emotional vibe in the hopes that that will carry onto the golf course because it does change my relationship to the game. Yes. It changed my, I don't, I, I'm not convinced that it makes me a quote unquote better player. It changes well, my, well, that's great. Well, you know what, when, and we won't convince you, I won't, I, but I would say that it's, yeah. I can tell you it's made a difference with me. You know, I feel, I feel on this is that I think what we're in many ways, what we're talking about is, okay, you said your relationship to the game. I think it, 
it mainly starts with my relationship with myself and understanding the things that I, I tend to do. And so for me, you could say psychology, I'll use it in a different way, is awareness. What are the behaviors that, that, that send me down the rabbit hole of looking for, you know, a swing fix or, or what tends to happen in which I start to tense up and I start to talk too much or I lose focus. And if I can have an awareness of, oh, yeah, that's something that I tend to do. Now I can now I can respond differently, but I think what happens for a lot of us is that we're thinking about the right things to do, and when we're thinking, we're not actually really aware of what's actually happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would agree. Well, I mean, uh, what Tim just said though is that's basically psychology: being aware of your habits and your habitual thinking and your behavior is, in essence, you know. Your yeah, own, but most you're people being your think own. about it, it's the thing they're supposed to do. Again, it's like almost like they, they write down that, that today they're going to uh, look at the trees. Awareness. And breathe on, And I'm going to breathe on every tea. Awareness. And I'm, but I'm going to do all these things, and I'm going to do them correctly. I'm going to make sure I do them in my routine. And yep. to me, it just becomes more shit to do. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. So, I mean, how can you how can you show up on the first tee and be be playful when it's your turn to play? And if I'm playful, that doesn't mean I don't give a shit. For sure. I mean, talking about I'm not going to play by the rules and I'm going to take five foot gimmies. But <laughs> That's right. For me, I've seen those guys. I'm, yeah, I'm just immersed in what I'm doing. And, you know, if it's if it's great, great. If it's good, good. And if it's not so if it's bad, then so be it. Move on. And all I'll but say maybe being playful is something that can't maybe just maybe being playful is something that you've cottoned on to yourself. Is that that's a that's a good place for me to be on the first tee where there's other players who know that whether it be uh, a Saturday morning game or Club C or senior qualifier that they actually need to be quiet on the first tee. And yeah. they, and that that sure. and that works for them. Yeah. But That's but fair. all of it whether it's you know whether it's you know listen all of it is whether it's awareness or showing up to be playful you had to have a plan to do that. And you have a plan to do it because you were talking about it now. And so all I'm yeah. saying is call it what You're you right. want. Golf psychology, a mental performance coach, um Golf spiritual leader. It's all a plan. It's not just happening, uh, you know, without any regard. It's not like you just rock up and you're like, well, today I plan yeah. to be, you know, it's, it's all part of your psychology. Yeah. And it's, and, and it's, it's got to be part of what you tell your players, both of you, when you work with them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I'm looking for is when I'm working with someone, when I'm coaching someone is, okay, you know, what is the, what is this guy's unique makeup and you know how can he how can he use his own his own innate tendencies to enhance his relationship with the game which is beautiful let me ask you a question do you tell your players to journal i recommend it to everybody i say basically look you know it's a it's a good thing the worst thing that can happen is you spend an extra five minutes a day feeling good. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The worst thing can happen. Well, I'll the tell you what, it's, it's great. Yeah. Uh, it's, all, it's a great, see, we had another great chat with one of our friends. <laughs> I think if you want to go back and listen to this, you're, uh, you'll see that you're a golf psychologist. And uh, <laughs> no, and I'm just throwing out. I like to throw at these, like, okay, you know, like, does it really work? Does it really, you know? I mean, like, I, I like exploring possibilities and the different angles. drives drives my wife nuts. But listen, you know. I've been in the chamber. It's a very heady place. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kent Osborne at Scratch Attitude on Twitter is a must follow for your, uh, if if you're any kind of golfer. Uh, that's how we met. And now look at us just hanging out. And um, this book, uh, it's called uh, Scratch Attitude. Just go on. You can go on, get it online. It's a short read, but it's very powerful stuff. And uh, as has this uh, opinion, as this appearance uh, verifies. Thanks, my friend. Okay. Thanks, lads. Have a Thanks, great K- day. Take All care. Right, KO. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So how do I tie in you and I playing with him at Saugeen to a, a recent experience that was inspired by you? Great question. You just did. I think you just did. What's that? I think you just did tie it all together. Oh, no, I haven't even done it yet. Well, you're providing the, uh, the grounds for making that transition. So carry on. Well, no, but I haven't even gotten to the actual thing that you inspired me to do yet. I know, you're getting there, so just keep going. So, we are playing with Candid Saugain, and it was taking, uh, like, I drove the cart over to your car, and um, you had Before we teed off? Yes. Okay. So, before we tee off, I, you were doing something in your car, and I grabbed your bag, your Jones bag. Oh, that's right, yes, yes. And I was like, I couldn't get my head around how light it was. You know, I'm... I haven't carried a golf bag since I left the National in 2005. When I came back to golf in 2013, everyone was pushing those, uh, I hate them, those shopping cart carts that they have at uh, Club Link. I know. They look like they look like garbage can pushers that yeah. you find in the UK. They're so um, unergonomic. Anyway, well but I, you know, they're just, and they're, now I have the robot and the robot's great. So I take Tim's golf bag. And um, I said to you, I was like, wow, I had no idea. Like, you had a full set of clubs. I mean, hey, the only downside of them, and they're not great cart bags because they're so floppy. And Exactly, yeah. But um, anyway, you hooked me up with uh, Dave Stewart from Hathaway Stewart Enterprises. Shout out to Dave. And they rep the Jones bag in Canada. And I put, uh, I don't know if you follow me on uh, Instagram, but I put a picture of the bag on I Instagram. Thought, yeah, yeah, it looked awesome. And I had them, uh, they put a little stitching in there. Like, yours is like cool. It says Tim O'Connor. And, you know, I'm too bashful for that. So I didn't put Tim O'Connor on my bag. That's a joke. <laughs> I um, put GSL, just very small letters, GSL on the bag. And um, for the first time in, uh, I don't know, got to be 20 years. In that vicinity, I carried my clubs last Sunday. Nice. I I got a smaller version than you did. I got like the sort of the Sunday bag version. Yeah. So it can take a full set of clubs. But here's what I did. I just took six irons, two woods and a putter. And because, you know, when we were kids, like you and I and all the guys our age, we um, my first set of clubs was three, five, seven, nine pitching wedge. Putter, 
driver and maybe some kind of wood. Didn't have a sand wedge. My first full set of clubs, I didn't get them until I was like 14 or 15. So I thought, okay. I actually thought about it quite a bit the day before the round. I thought, what am I going to put in that bag? And I even looked at the, the nines we were going to play, and I thought, okay. So I did driver hybrid, hybrid, five iron, seven iron, nine iron. And then I thought about, well, the closer you get to the green, the more variety you might want. So I had five iron, seven iron, nine iron, pitching wedge, 54, 58, and a putter. So, um, so really only three irons, you know, other than wedges, three, five, seven, sorry, three, sorry, five, seven, nine, and then three wedges. And I shot basically, I, I shot, I, I shot 78, but I had th- maybe three shots. I had a couple of three putts, but I had three shots where I just didn't quite have the right club and I didn't pull it off, mm-hmm. meaning I hit it too far, which led to a couple of, I had like 60, 70 feet. Um, but I got to tell you, man, it was such a great experience. Like, it was so weird. There, you pop in whenever you want, but I was going to tell you, like I play with these guys on Saturday morning. There's about 40 of us. And every, the, the reaction I got from these guys seeing me carry my clubs was bizarre. You're not kidding. Absolutely. Like, I was getting like, what do you think you're doing? Blah, blah, you're trying to recap. Like, it was crazy. I thought there, I didn't think anything of it. Yeah. Lots of people admired it, thought it was cool. But then they found out I only had six irons. They were like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, nothing. The Saturday morning game, I'm not taking it too seriously. Maybe you are back to our theme today, but it's not recreational golf. <laughs> exactly. Like one guy literally sort of seriously took me aside and said, is everything okay? <laughs> like it. it was a oh cry for help. You talk about, talk about golf culture, eh? Exactly. <laughs> I know. I was like, are you all right? I'm like, dude, it was so much fun shooting 78 on Saturday morning with these guys. Doesn't, you know, if I shot, I, what would I have shot with my full set? Probably the same number, maybe maybe 75. Yeah. But yeah, man, I got a lot of weird reaction to it. Yeah, that's that's so cool. And and so I'm so glad that, um, yeah, you had that experience. Um, Those Jones bags, just sort of a bit of background, they were the bag in the 80s and I think into the 90s for college players, um, particularly in the United States. Everyone had a Jones bag. Then it became the Ping Hoofer bag, but um, everyone had that. And what's so cool about that bag, so it's a single strap. It's not the double thing. It's not like you're putting on a a backpack to go hiking. Um, And you can wear it over one shoulder. You can also switch shoulders if you want, but you can also walk so that it's it actually looks really cool. It's traditional that you walk with the base of the of the bag forward. Yeah, I mean it might be weird for people to get get an idea of as if they're just listening to the podcast, but it just m- makes the game so much easier because you can walk anywhere. Yeah, I know and it was crazy. You don't have to go around things. Um, you can walk, a, walk and walking up hills is so easy. When you when you've got this thing on, so you know, they're great bags, and and they have just enough pockets and everything, and it makes it easy to access. So, just kind of to the to the issue of um, of clubs. So, I carry ten clubs. So I've taken out. So I carry a driver, 
a five wood and then five through nine wedge and 54. And so I just find that uh, 11 clubs and particularly 12, clubs, it's just a little too heavy for a 66 year old. man. Mm-hmm. And so do, I, do you have I, a, do you have 10 clubs plus your putter? No, 10 clubs. No, it's 10 clubs, including putter. Okay. Yeah. So driver hybrid, um, five, six, seven, so Anyway, it's great. I, I tried it. Listen, I, I had all my clubs in there. And by the way, you can use all your clubs. Um, and I was walking around, you know, in the back, seeing what it felt like. And I thought, you know what? Not only is it my, am I going to carry it, but I'm going to I'm going to see what it's like playing with a few clubs. Initially, I was only going to play with like a, I was going to take all the wedges out except for one. But I thought, no, I you know I'm, I'm not ready for that yet. But um, I know what you mean about I did it. I carried it base forward, which is a lot of kids do. For the front nine. And I got to tell you, then I put it like traditional with the base back. And it actually made it, for me, it balanced better. It could just also be the way I had to strap. Yeah, it could be. Could be. But, um, man, it was so good. It was so easy. But I got to tell you that the men that I play with, it just freaked them the fuck out. I have no idea why. I guess change or... The modern game. Everyone's yeah. carting these days. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's you know par for the course, if you will, yeah. that everyone carts it these days. And to me, you're not getting a good workout. Uh, to me, I look at golf as a workout. I, to me, it's part of being, being fit is mm-hmm. being able to walk and, and carrying a bag helps with that. And uh, because when I notice that when I walk um, carrying the bag, um, my abs are engaged mm-hmm. and I go up a hill and I got, you know, I'm huffing and puffing and, and that's good. You oh. know, and to me, that's all good stuff. I was worried. The only thing I was worried about was, you know, both of my shoulders are a bit, you know, like a lot yeah, of guys are, yeah, it's a bit yeah. tender, a bit sort of rotator cuff tears, but it, mm-hmm. it, it was no pressure. And by the way, this isn't a complete commercial for Dave Stewart and the Hathaway, but I got to tell you, it was more about the, it, it, my point is it wasn't hard on my shoulders. Um, like I walk all the time. Like, I won't walk today because it's going to feel like 42. Yes. Um, but I walk with my uh, robot cart, which is still better than driving a cart. But like yesterday, I played, and we walked the front nine. But bo- I was playing with a buddy of mine, just a recreational round. And, um, man, I, we, we both carted the back nine. We, I said, let's get a cart because it was dying out there, man. Like this oh, week, yeah, totally. This week totally. in Toronto... There's a couple days today, and I think tomorrow before it breaks, they're going to feel like in the early 40s. I drink oh, yeah, the heat warning. Yeah. Gone. Then, then I wouldn't hoof it. But I'm going to tell you, this bag and I, this whole fall, because I loved it. I and I, I just for what you said, being able to walk across the green, um, and they've really like this technology. Whatever they've done with the balance of this thing is pretty good. And and the strap is so comfortable. And, yes, and it's. Yeah, it's it's got it's soft and everything. You know they they've done an amazing job with it. But if you go to clubs, what I would call like real players clubs, mm-hmm. where you have like a large percentage of the guys are are low handicappers, you see those bags everywhere, like at yeah. the pulpit, the Nash, all those types of clubs. But I just want to come back to the idea of not carrying a full set. Yeah, and, and I love that memory of. Well, I remember my first club, just like you said, you know, uh, three, five, seven, nine. And you, you did fine with it. But here, where I'm going to go with this is that it was about five years ago, I was given a speech at, uh, at a conference. 
And what they did was they kind of made me, they beat the pro guy. Mm-hmm. So they put me on a par three, and I think it was only about 100 and, I think it was about like about 130 yards. And they did this interesting game where they had someone on the tee who basically facilitated this little game. So they had a deck of cards, and if you, and so everyone picked a card, and whatever card you picked, that was a club you hit. So oh, cool. if it was like a, so yeah, so it was like everything from you know five to and face cards I think were um, wedges or something I can't remember. But here's the thing I'm getting to is that so from 130 yards I would have to hit like a five iron 130 yards or I'd have to stand on a for me I'd have to stand on a 54 degree mm-hmm. play it back and and uh, GSL I was amazed how many times. I hit the green or just even hit it to pin high using everything from a 54 to a five iron to 130 yards. Crazy. Huh? So you don't need So I remember, um, uh, you know, our friend, Mike Martz, he was, we've had him on the show a few times. We need to get Marksy back on, but I remember him telling me he was so disgusted with Frank Nobolo, uh on CBS saying that the guy was between clubs. No one is ever between clubs. Mm-hmm. You, you just adapt <laughs> And, and hit the shot that's required with the tool you got. Well, it was a great experience. The next day, I so I played that on Saturday. The next day, I played in a sort of a mid-am event called the Niagara Cup. They uh, I played in it before, and um, I'm sort of a spare on the team. And we played it from, it's all kids, so we played it from the back tees on a really wet day. It's People like 69. You mean? Say again? Under People 45. Under 45, right? you mean? Yeah, although the, the guys we played with were more sort of of our vintage, but still there was a couple of young guys in the group. But we're playing a 6,900-yard golf course, and it was wet. A lot. And, um, yeah, I hit a lot of four irons to the greens, and I hit a lot of hybrids. Um, but in, 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 in actual fact, the scoring clubs are all pretty much the same. And, uh, and that's a great point about not being in between clubs. Like... It was it was a good reminder that you you know I hit a lot of 160 yard five irons and I hit a lot of you know where I had to stretch I didn't have a 50 degree and I had to stretch my 54 a little bit or take something off my pitching wedge you know getting back to Canton you know some great shots I was remembering after the round but I hit there's a, a par three in our course I was playing about 145 and it was downwind so I would normally either step on a nine iron or take something off an eight iron but I didn't have all I had was seven iron so I thought. All right. And I hit this little sweet kind of teed it up a little higher, choked down on it. But I made a nice swing and it kind of cut into the wind. And I was like, man, I should. Do, that's the shot I should hit all the time because yes. it was because it was effortless. Well, I also think you become a better player. Yes. Doing that. Um, there's. Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for kind of making like your Seve on the beach with a three iron. When you learn how to hit a bunch of different shots, um, you get, as our friend Mark Evershed would say, you get educated hands. Yeah. And then you start to be able to really be able to create shots and and respond to different situations. I remember watching Foley um, back way back when, when he was at the Core Golf Academy at um, Orange County National. And he was putting on a, it was a March break camp and my son Corey was there. And he had like an eight iron and he was, he was hitting shots that would be like 10 yards, you know, off the ground, screaming out there, like, you know, 180 yards. And then we'd hit these flops and he'd have his legs all wide in the, Mm -hmm. and he'd have the shaft 
down to almost like eight inches off the ground and hit this thing and hit flops as if he had a 60 degree wedge. So it, I think it's a really great thing for players to do to, as you say, to educate yourself and just find out how creative you can really be as opposed to being chained to, okay, this is 150 yards. This is my eight iron. Mm-hmm. Well, like I said, it blew some, uh, I was really kind of taken aback. It was funny because the guys in my group, because, you know, there's, we were one of the, we were the second group off that day and we have tea times on Saturday morning from 830 until like 1020, almost a couple hours. So as you go through Glen Karen, you're constantly passing over bridges while yeah. other groups are coming your way. And at first we didn't really run into anyone. But once we did, we ran into people constantly going back and forth from uh, one course to the other. And as it got to be a bit of a joke in my group because universally, nobody passed me by without saying something. Some guys who passed me by twice said things twice. Like, it was so comical because, as you say, like, you know, the paradigm of golf, you have to have a full set of clubs, you have to do this. And, and then afterwards, when, like I said, I, when people found out I didn't have a full set, they were like, hmm, what's up with Howard? We heard he was struggling. Um, but getting, I want to finish. I want to finish off. Go ahead. I just want one last thing about this. Do you think that part of what their uh, response comes from this place of, you mean you're not trying to shoot the lowest score possible today? Mm-hmm. That you're not trying to give yourself <clears throat> the <clears throat> the opportunity to go low and reduce your handicap? And do you think it, that has something to do with it? Uh, maybe. Um, it's, yeah, for sure. Partly that and partly that. You know, one wants to, you know, we're all, we're all part of the tribe and we have to be in the, when, when somebody steps outside the herd, you know, it, it's danger. Um, I wanted to get, and which is back to uh, yeah. our discussion with Kent, <clears throat> that everything is psychology, whether it's, you know, you being, you know, you saying, well, today I'm just going to be aware. Well, that's psychology and Kent writing that, you know, that's why I, I wasn't trying to challenge him. I love the guy, but Everything is a psychological technique, including journaling before you go and play. You know, our whole show for 240 episodes has been to give people some, you know, well, part of it, I think, is to share that the chaos of this game that we all feel that, you know, that's one of the reasons we're listening to this show and we're doing it. But that whether it's a formal, you know, working with uh, Pryor or working with Paul Doolin or Carl Morris, or it's just a casual, you know, maybe I will start trying to remember my good shots. Because, what you know, that's a psychological technique to imprint and give yourself some perspective. You know, so whether you do it formally or you're Rory working with Bob Rotella or your guys like us that just sort of have an interest in it, it's all it's all part of some scheme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that partly what... Um Kent was talking about was like for uh, the routine, for example, is I think what happens to a lot of people, we tend to be particularly adult males is to be very literal. This is what, okay. The best players in the world are adhering to a routine. That's so, that's so strict. You could time it, you know, and then they do the exact same thing every time. So I think what tends to happen is, is people get in this place of trying to do something correctly mm-hmm. you know i'm going to put my club here i'm going to look at my intermediate target and place my left foot my right foot stick my butt out and then they're, so they're still really they're thinking and they're in their heads as opposed to going through a, a process where you're creating an ability to hit a golf shot so instead of hitting the golf shot we're trying to do the routine correctly i think that's part of what he was getting at 
But I think every, we're all kind of saying the same damn thing. Maybe. I mean, um, it was a good discussion. It was a bit convoluted at times, but, uh, you know, he, even, <laughs> what, even what you just said, it's like, you know, those guys at that level are doing whatever routine they're doing at such a subconscious level. That's it. It's the reason that Tiger could, you could time Tiger's routine. And you can time most of their, I mean, I don't want to get into the Brian Harmon, you know, re-gripping thing, but, you know, for most people, it's a, it's a subconscious thing. The reason that yeah. Tiger and Nicholas and good players have an intermediate target is to line up at the target. And whether you call it a process, which you just did, or you call it a routine, yeah, I mean, if you're so caught up in trying to make sure it's done right, that could get in the way. Yeah. But most people, even newish or higher handicapped golfers, have something that they do routinely yep. to hit a golf ball. You know? Yeah, it's in the tri- it's in the trying. That's what I for so many of the golfers that I coach, I, I do workshops with and I and I chat with. I just find that they're always trying to do stuff. They're, they they go to the golf course kind of with a list of things and they're standing over the shot and they're going through a checklist of, of things. And in essence, they're in their heads. And, and I just find that that's just not a recipe for very good golf. Um, for sure. If, it, if you're talking about swing thoughts, it isn't a recipe. Yeah. But hey, if I do, I do want to quickly like, Harmon and the regrip thing. I, I just like. I just want to tell you that I did the same thing as when. Uh, remember when Sergio was doing the regrip oh, yeah. thing at Beth, yeah. Beth Page. So what I would do, I would just look away from the screen, from watching him to something else on the screen. And when I heard the ball, then I would look mm-hmm. uh, because that was starting to really start to annoy me, and I, I was becoming aware that I was starting to fixate on it because, you know, I was reading stuff about it. And then of course there's Twitter things going on about it, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually glad it didn't become like a bigger deal than some people made it out. Well, I didn't see much of the round on Sunday, but I heard that they had put up a, a meter about how yep, many times he's done, which you kind of yeah, think is a bit, dis- it's a little bit, disres- it's a little bit disrespectful. I mean, the guy's six shots up in the, you know, the open about to win his first major, like, I don't know. I just thought like maybe that, I, and, and I, I've I've heard that from some people. I thought it was a little bit, you know. I don't know. It's, it's not not in poor taste, but like unnecessary. Really, the guy was, uh, you know, no. I don't know. To me, it was sort of like maybe they were looking for a story because there was no story anymore. Yeah, I think you're. I think you might. You could be correct there. I don't yeah, know. There wasn't. <laughs> there wasn't a story. It was it was about you know who's going to finish second. But I, I will say that I wasn't that interested in it. I took a nap, <laughs> you know, when he was kind yeah. of on hole 13 or so. He's still got a five or six shot lead when I got back. But I watched it to the end just to see how he would do. But when he finally hit that bunker shot in 18, it ran out on the green and the big smile with the caddy. I just felt so happy. No, I love that. I love that stuff. I didn't watch it because I was playing. Um, but just getting back, because you, you sort of, we switched gears quickly there when I said, yeah, when you go to the golf course and you have a shopping list of swing thoughts about your golf swing, that's not great. You know, but I also think, sorry, I'm going to interject. 
It's the same thing with the mental side. I have swing thoughts about my swing, but I also okay. have thoughts about what I'm going to do mentally. Okay, well, let me try and get it. Um, it's 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 that that having too many swing thoughts. I, I'm I'm just going to put a comma here, so get ready for it. I think that's destructive. Yes, having too many mental thoughts as 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 a, a shopping list can't be good either but what i think a lot of these guys do whether it's rotella or Pryor or carl morris or you is you can go to the golf course having worked on your psychology prior no pun intended so that you have um that you have a we'll call it an attitude or a, you have a plan for how golf is going to show up for you that day because you've worked on it away from the golf course. Now, whether it's Doolin's thing where, you know, like something as simple as keeping your eyes on the horizon, a physiological impact, or an O'Connor thing of feeding yourself every three holes. Like I talked to a guy the other day, I'll just tell you a quick story, who one of the guys that was worried that I was having a, a mental breakdown because I was only playing with six holes, uh, six clubs. <laughs> But I, we started talking, because this was during the rain delay at, at this Niagara Cup thing. We started talking about him, because he started to work with a guy that we know. doesn't matter who. Um, and I said, what are you talking to him about? Blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, it's obvious you're a very good player that sometimes has trouble when score, when score matters. And, you know, it's good to have somebody to kind of share that with. And one of the things that came in our, in our conversation, I said, you know, he was talking about having been a couple under par with, you know, four or five holes to go. And then he just goes into a complete mental tailspin. And I said, how much are you eating? He says, well, you know, what do you mean? I said, how much are you eating during the round? He goes, I don't eat at all during the round. I said, well, that'd be the first thing I'd look at. And I told him the story of you and me talking about it. I said, if, if you're not feeding your physiological, you know, self, uh, every three or four holes, and you know it's not just water. You're you're going to get to the end of the round and be making poor decisions that lead to uh, poor outcomes. Now, is that a process or is that a plan? Is that something that you want to be aware of? Well, absolutely. Yeah, you're 100 percent correct. So whether and those are the kind of things I'm talking about that things that can actually impact. So that's something you want to be sort of say you you take care of your psychology before you get there. You're not just kind of going through a Rolodex of what did they say on swing thoughts a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, exactly. Well, one of the things that <clears throat> I advise people on is so if you have an awareness, again, we come back to the awareness of what are some of the behaviors that I get caught up in. So let's say someone, you know, it, when they tend to have good rounds, they're thinking like, oh, if I can get to the clubhouse there and if I can just par in, although those types of thoughts aren't going to serve you because you're going to be in the future. So a strategy <clears throat> to have in your back pocket, if you will, would be, okay, when I become aware, I'm starting to be into future think, well, maybe I'll just focus on you know, whatever works for you. It could be that I'm going to start looking at the trees or I am going to feel my feet on the ground. I'm going to do something to keep me present. That would be a plan. And that would be like a strategy you could use. And it's different for everybody. Yes. Um, well, I think we've chewed on enough. I think we've chewed on the same thing enough here for 56 <laughs> minutes. No, an hour and six minutes. Um, this is a very strange episode of Swing Thoughts. Uh, brought to you by TaylorMade. I can tell you right now. Um, yeah, I'm getting to the uh, whatever. Which is it past the halfway mark of the season playing with uh, the new stealth driver. And I don't, you know, I will say this. When I hit it well... It really does go. But it's when I don't hit it well 
it also goes. So that's pretty cool. Uh, TaylorMadeGolf.ca, TaylorMade Canada. Go check it out. Um, it was kind of cool that TaylorMade had those bags made up at the Open Championship in that sort of iconic, whatever color that is, that British Open color. What color is that? <laughs> I don't know. Is it yellow? Is it mustard? I don't. I don't have a distinction. Is well, it's because we're both colorblind. Is it green? I, it's it's a yellowy, greeny thing. But it's very distinct, and I thought it was cool yes. they had all their tailor-made players. Uh, speaking of distinct, look at you. Look at you. I'm festooned in hmm. Oscar Bravo polo. Check out whoisoscarbravo.com. Yours looks really good today, too. Got a little one buttons open there. You're looking very swarthy. Very cool. And, of course, Stretch Lab Toronto. Stretchlab.com. Uh, Tim O'Connor, the Substack is called uh, toconnor.substack.com. The it's called Up and Down, and it's my thoughts and coachy stuff and all kinds of cool stuff. It is cool and it's very well written. It's very, very well written, folks. And of course, check me out on my uh, regular day gig at uh, Humble and Fred Radio. Everywhere you get fine podcasts. We'll see you next time. Inside, but you don't see too many things.